Fair to say that everyone listening today is not superstitious, as I welcome you to episode 666 of the Juicebox podcast. Christine's on the show today. She has had type 1 for uh, many, 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 many decades, and she's going to tell us her story. If you play this next bit in reverse, it will reveal who killed President Kennedy. Please remember today that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. Now try to figure out how to play a podcast backwards. You're never going to do it. Keeping this theme going for episode 666, I compel you to go to t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box and take the T1D Exchange survey. When you do, you'll be helping people with type 1 diabetes and supporting the show. All you have to be is a type 1 who is a U.S. resident or a U.S. resident who is the caregiver of a type 1. After that, t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. Fewer than 10 minutes and you're done. I compel thee. This show is sponsored today by the glucagon that my daughter carries, Gvoke Hypopen. Find out more at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Touched by Type 1. Visit touchedbytype1.org or find them on Instagram and Facebook. I mean, honestly, you could probably do all three of those things. Find them on Instagram, Facebook, and visit touchedbytype1.org. Hi there, I'm uh, Christine, and I'm recording from Oregon. Oregon. Uh, grew up in Wisconsin, and uh, I've been out here, though, most of my life. You went from Wisconsin to Oregon when you were younger? Um, after college, I went to school at the University of Mad- uh, Wisconsin at Madison. You follow a boy to Oregon or something? Um, a girl? Well, I'm kind sorry. of. Yeah. Kind of a boy. I I heard that Oregon was a beautiful place to be. And I had done some internships out in the West and uh, just headed out this way. And as soon as I got here, I knew it was where I needed to set my roots down. But I came out here by myself, basically. Okay, that's excellent. All right. Um, Let's see. Let me remind you uh, as we go zippers banging anything like that is going to come through pretty loud you have a really good microphone so okay try not to fit okay. if you can um I, are you nervous um i'd be lying if i said that i didn't have a few butterflies but generally i don't get nervous um i'm excited good good i was gonna yeah. say christine you're a grown person there's nothing, I am. <laughs> there's nothing to be nervous about <laughs> Um, I, I think it kind of, it, it fits into your story. So how old are you? I just turned 65. Oh, yeah. Happy birthday. In, in September 14th. Congratulations. Yes. And getting diabetes at age 13 on my birthday, basically was, uh, was quite the present. Do you recall any of that? I do. How, how did it happen? Um, 
I recall standing at the kitchen sink all summer long, drinking gallons of cold water. And my mother would say that I would sit down at the table before anybody got there and I'd start eating. And I was still there after everybody left. And I was pretty little. I was, you know, that was seventh grade. Going into seventh grade, I was 70, 75 pounds. And I was just eating like a horse. And um, it was mostly my mother was watching that scenario go on. And when school started, it was in the days, I don't know that they still do this, but the we'd get weighed. And I had lost six pounds from the year before Hmm. during a period of time where you're supposed to be growing. Right. So mom took a urine sample into the doctor and bingo, there it was. So I, I wasn't sick. I think it was caught pretty early. My recollection is maybe my blood sugar was in the 400s. I have a question. Did the doctor ask for a urine sample or was your mom just the kind of lady that when you didn't feel good, you had to pee in a cup? <laughs> I, I know. I think um, I think she had a doctor's appointment for herself and then she called in and talked about what was going on with me, that I had lost the weight and I she see. was watching the water drinking and they said, just bring a urine sample in. So, and that was the weekend of my 13th birthday. And he wanted me to go in the hospital right away. Um, And she said, well, we're having a birthday party this weekend. And he says, okay, you can wait till Monday, but don't let her eat too much birthday cake. (laughs) Oh, you didn't get any cake? I think she let me have a little bit. (laughs) And then from there, what is the, well, see, I usually ask what the beginning of your management life is like, but it's going to be a big chunk of it for you, right? Yeah, well, it was 52 years ago, and that was in the days of um, you pee in a cup, you took uh, an eyedropper and put in, I don't know, five drops of urine, 10 drops of water, and then this little tablet, and it fizzed up and turned color. And um, usually, you know, to have no sugar in your urine um, it, it was blue, but by the time you're dumping sugar into your urine, you're already way too high. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty rudimentary, um, uh, tools that we had at that time. And I was mortified that I would have to do this at school, you know, yeah. lock myself in the bathroom and pee in a cup and, <laughs> You know, how often, days. how often did you do that? Well, um, I do remember doing it at school a couple times and then probably going to the doctor and crying about it. And he said, I didn't have to do it at school anymore. So I don't know. We probably did it in the morning and in the evening, hmm. you know, we, we boiled the glass insulin syringe and put a new needle on it every morning. Um, but it's a pretty long time ago. It was beef and pork insulin and um, and 
probably on some sort of mixture. I don't remember. We certainly didn't have fast-acting insulin. No, no. This is 1969, is that right? Yes. Yeah. You know, if your birthday was a month sooner, I could call this episode Summer of 69. (laughs) But Fall of 69 is not going to make anybody go, oh, I wonder what this is about. (laughs) (laughs) I think think something else will come up. Yeah, you think think you're going to say something insane in the next hour? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay, well, let's get to that part then. Um, I, I do want to like dig through a little con- like contextually. Like you say it so offhandedly, like we boiled the syringes and and but you had a set, right? They were glass syringes with metal needles, and then every time you used them, they had to be sterilized. Right. You know, I don't remember boiling the needle. I think there were disposable needles that you just clipped on the top of that glass syringe. Okay. Um. But, you know, that went on because I was in seventh grade and I just kind of remember that glass syringe for a long time before they came out with the disposable needles. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, the doctor didn't say I had to keep doing that urine test at school, but I was doing it at home. Um, what, was the, what was the goal of the test? The goal of the test was to have it be blue. That meant you didn't have sugar in your urine. But again, my recollection was that by the time it turned a different color was that you had already dumped a lot of, you know, from your blood, filtering out the sugar into your kidneys, your blood sugar was already pretty high. So that was the best that we had at that time. But I mean, if it wasn't blue, you didn't get more insulin, right? No. What did you stop eating or run around or what was the plan then? You just kept taking your insulin dose. Um, you know, there really wasn't much strategy yeah. that I remember. It was um I was on a one of those diets that they called the exchange diet. So for breakfast, I had two starches, a protein, you know a fruit, a milk, lunch, you know, kind of the same sort of thing. And my mom was pretty good at sticking to that exchange diet and what that all meant. Um, It was harder on her than it was on me. Um, She had a hard time giving me shots. I mean, she would just fall apart every time she had to give me a shot. And I would just say, Mom, just give me the needle. <laughs> and I would and I would take over. That was it, it just hurt her mm-hmm. to feel like she was hurting me. Um how many kids but, how many kids did your mom have? Um, there are four of us. We but we were all really stretched out. My I had an older sister who was eight years older than I was, and then I came along and then a younger sister who is almost four years younger. And then another brother who is, you know, there was almost eight years between him and I. Wow. So is your mom only fertile every eight years or I, you know, I didn't get to ask her before she died. What was that family? What the heck was going on in between? (laughs) I know that there was one miscarriage. um, I think between me and my younger sister, um, so, uh, 
Yeah, who knows? Maybe your dad was only nice every seven years or so. <laughs> my dad, my dad wasn't around very much, so that uh, may have been part of it. I don't know. No, yeah. it's interesting. That's a you know. Yes. How would you know? But I don't know. I'm interested. I, I love yeah. stuff like that. Um, I know. So okay, so you do this for ever and ever, and there's not a ton of impact on you, right? Like you, you don't remember your life as being difficult. I don't. I. I have never in 52 years been hospitalized for DKA. I remember never skipping an insulin dose. I do remember screwing around with my diet, though, that as time went along and you started to push the envelope a little bit and go, oh, I really want a piece of cake. And you'd eat the piece of cake and nothing really bad happened. Mm -hmm. You just kept pushing it. And I think I was pretty good in high school, you know, just kind of toeing the mark. I was a good girl. And, um, but then when I went to college, I went through some rebellious years and maybe a little bit of light depression about, about living with this disease and, um, kind of using it a little bit to be in denial. I mean, I remember going down to the vending machine in the college dormitory and getting not one Snicker bar, but five. I'd eat five Snickers and then I'd get really tired and take a long nap. But I never got, it never got so bad that I ever was hospitalized. So um, I pat myself on the back for that for all these years that I never really got into serious trouble. Even in college, though, there was no meter, right? So in college, um, I finally got to see an endocrinologist. Up until that time, um, I was still being seen by a family doctor. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know about endocrinologists. And for some reason, you know, we must have had a health plan at at the school. And I got into at the University of Wisconsin to see um, this Scottish physician. And uh, there's a couple things that I remember very distinctly about him. And that really helped to form how I carried on with this disease. And um, so he, I don't know if we, I don't, I don't think, cause that was in the late seventies. I don't think we still had the A1C test. Okay. Um, I don't know. You, you might know when that test was developed, but um, I remember him saying to me, he actually called me at home one night, maybe to give me some lab work. And he basically um, laid it on the line and said, you know, you you really got to get your act together here. And he used the. You froze. Hold on a second. Christine, hold on. You are frozen, frozen. This Oregon internet is 
dodgy. Something happened to the tree you live in? What happened? I, yeah, I don't know. I don't <laughs> know. Okay. I checked my internet connection. It looks okay. That's okay. Don't worry about it. You were yeah. you were talking about the doctor and so he called me and um he said in his little Scottish accent, gather ye rosebuds while ye may. And I remembered that. And I guess it hit home. And there were a couple of other things that hit home right at that time. It was, I was in my early twenties. I did have a cousin, a second cousin who developed diabetes. We were the same age. Um, And, but he developed it five years earlier than me. And when he was 21, he lost his sight Hmm. due, due to diabetes. So I had this doctor telling me this. I had my cousin who had just gone blind. And I was like, oh, my God, this stuff is real. I better start paying attention here. And I got on the bandwagon. And um, I and I also was studying to be in a health occupation. I was vacillating between two different fields. And being in a health occupation, you... You know, I was exposed to people who had complications. I was exposed to, you know, stuff that was going on in the medical field. And I really think it helped me to um, get on board okay. pretty quickly. Yeah. He was telling you, uh, by the way, gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Pro- proverb act and it, may, it means enjoy yourself now before your situation's changed. Exactly. The rest of the poem um, goes, um, gather ye rosebuds while ye may, old time is a flying, and this same flower that smiles today, tomorrow will be a dying. Mm. So that really stuck in my head. And, uh, and, you know, I'm grateful to him for that. I, he, I, I got involved in a couple of research studies in college he did one. He asked me if I would volunteer to be hospitalized for a week. And I was all about trying to do the right thing. And the hospitalization was going to be about seeing if you could get a faster reaction from your insulin. And by that time, regular insulin was out, I believe. Okay. Um, and to see if you could get a faster reaction if you did an IM injection, intermuscular injection. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, I'll do it. And admitted myself to the hospital. I was probably in for five days and they were starting to do blood tests then at that point where you put a drop of blood on a strip and the strip turned color it was still pretty wide ranges, but it was better than the urine testing. Okay. And so I had to agree to using a one inch needle that you'd go straight in, usually to your quad, big muscle on your thigh and, and see if having muscle uptake was faster than subcutaneous. Mm-hmm. So the 
I don't know what they used to measure. Um, I don't know how long I did it for, but it was an interesting theory and it, it didn't go on very long and it was, it's painful to do an IM injection. Mm. Yeah. It sounds like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the cost, the benefit wasn't real clear. And, you know, he said, I didn't need to keep doing it, but gotcha. so there was that study. And then there was also a study going on that just started at the university of Wisconsin called the, the Wisconsin epidemiological study for diabetes retinopathy, the W E S D R. And they were looking at, you know, control, how well your control was, and they were going to do a 20 year study. And I was followed in that study for probably not quite 20 years. They stopped the study because the results were so obvious that if, if you had good control, that you could slow down eye disease. And they measured a bunch of things. Um, and every year I'd go in and have my eyes photographed and just go through a series, long series of questions. And it was usually a two hour um, appointment that I had. But they they did stop that study before 20 years because the evidence was obvious that good control was had good outcomes. That it had good outcomes, yeah. yes. So and but we still didn't have good tools right. to measure. And um well, you know, you mentioned the A1C test, but the best I can find is that in the 80s the A1C test came up. Okay. Um, and it doesn't say exactly when, but that's also the decade of meters, test strips requiring mm -hmm. less blood, like all that stuff sort of picked up a little bit in the earlier, uh, through the 1980s. Yeah, yeah. And I graduated from there in 1981. And I, um, I'm an occupational therapist. Mm -hmm. So I worked um, in hospitals and clinics and I I worked with a lot of people who had diabetes because and their complications. So as an occupational therapist, you help people to deal with their um, disease process or injury. And I got to see what happens when you don't take care of yourself. So, um, so those people you were working with could maybe act as the ghost of Christmas future for you. And it, did it keep you in line a little bit? Oh, I'm sure that it all influenced, yeah. you know, um, and then, you know, I was constantly, you know, in, in the field where I had good access to healthcare, and, um, yeah, I mean, all of it helped. I'm really glad that I chose that occupation and, and I had that sense of, um, and I don't know which doctor along the way said, you know, this isn't a death sentence, di getting diabetes. There's a lot worse things out there. And I looked at, you know, our family history and there was there were things in our family history like depression, uh, developmental disabilities, muscular dystrophy, um, alcoholism. And I thought, you know, maybe diabetes isn't so bad, you know. 
we all get somehow struck down <laughs> with something in our lives. And diabetes ta- teaches you how to live um, balanced and healthfully, exercise, eat right, all those things. Right. And I took on that attitude of this isn't horrible. Um, in college, I did, I think it was probably through going into that university um, health clinics. Um, somebody told me about a support group. And, and um, from college on up until even now, I've always been involved in some sort of support group around diabetes. And um, I remember clearly that we had a nurse in our support group. And he was talking about um, how, and again, this is late 70s, early 80s, how he says, well, you know, if I wanted to eat um, a little bit more, I would just take some more insulin. And we all, the rest of the people in the group, we just gasped like, oh, my God, you can't do that. You can't just take more insulin. Mm -hmm. And he said, why not? You know, and it was that first sign of, yes, you can take more insulin to cover more carbohydrates or, you know. And um, so, of course, you know, that's where we are now. Well, I want to ask you a couple of questions before we keep going. So you okay. said there was like muscular dystrophy in your background. That's autoimmune, I think, right? Um, yeah, maybe. Uh, it was on my dad's side. Diabetes was more on my mom's side. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if in fact, you're right, I don't, I don't know about I'm gonna that. I'm going to look, but how about... That would be the main autoimmune thing. How about thyroid? Any thyroid, celiac... That kind of stuff. No thyroid. Um, it's uh, kind, kind of surprisingly, um, but you know, thyroid disease is pretty prevalent. But I don't remember anybody. Maybe, um, yeah, maybe, um, maybe muscular dystrophy is not. It's uh, the best I have here is a hyperactive immune system can lead to inflammation and autoimmune disorders. Muscular dystrophy is a group of inherited diseases that led to progressive muscle weakness. Yeah, it's not it's not making an indication there. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Depression though, huh? Yeah, I think my mom suffered from depression. Um, my sister, um, there's alcoholism in my family. So when I looked at all those things, I thought, oh, maybe diabetes isn't so bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least I mean, I found a way to embrace it, which I think it's a healthy way to, you know, to live with it. Yeah. So, no, I, I mean, I, would yeah. I would I rather not have diabetes? Of course. Right. You know? Where did you find support groups back then? So that one was um, through college. There was some sort of thing on campus that we'd meet, and then as I um, was taking jobs in hospitals or kind of working with my doctor, you know, it was often suggested, oh, there's a support group that meets at, you know, once a month at such and such a place. And they would have guest speakers come in or we would all just get together and bitch, Mm -hmm. you know, about (laughs) having this disease or help each other to um, 
you know, deal with certain things? Like, how do you, how do you function with this? And I also, I just, we, we kind of know in research that support groups help people to, um, to function better, to live longer. You know, they say that women who are involved, who get breast cancer, who are involved with support groups often live longer um, um, with their um, disease. So we know it's a healthy concept. And I've been fortunate now up until COVID, um, those last support group that I've been in was a, a pump users support group. So when I was vacillating about going on a pump and I really pushed it away for a long time, it had been suggested by my doctor, you know, try a pump, try a pump. And I was like, you know, I do pretty good without it. And I wasn't ready for that attachment. Mm -hmm. And um, it wasn't until I... I was in my forties. So I went along, I kind of, I, I wrote, jotted down some notes last night about, I probably went along about 30 plus years yeah. on MDI. And I've been on a pump now for 20 plus years. Wow. Um, and what pushed me to finally go on a pump was that I couldn't remember like, when did I take that shot? How much did I take? You know, and when was my insulin going to peak? I just couldn't remember, you know, it's just lose, you know, start to lose your mind in your forties and fifties. And I was like, okay, I succumb. And I was the first pump that I went on was that Cosmo pump. Mm -hmm. And I, I loved that little pump. I was very sad when the company went out of business. And I, I think I went through two Cosmo pumps and then I went through two Animus pumps. Those are the and, ones that you hear people, uh, they're very um, romantic about the Cosmo and the, and the ping, right? Was that the, yes. yeah, people. I, I liked the Cosmo and I, I did not like the ping. No. The endless scrolling just, started to get to me. And so when they came out with the touch screen on that tandem, I couldn't wait yeah. to get that. So, so I've been on, I've had two tandems now and I'm going to be up for my next tandem next year. Can we, can we talk for a little bit about what it's like to get older when you have to remember all this stuff? Because I'm, I'm 50 and I search for words mm -hmm. uh, sometimes I have a, a fairly decent vocabulary. I don't whip it out all the time on the podcast, but there are times I, I, I couldn't tell you where to go to look for it, but I'll talk around not remembering a word mm -hmm. and I'm pretty good at it. So you might not hear it, but I'll feel as I'm speaking, when I get going, I know what I'm saying before I say it. So mm -hmm. I'm five words ahead and I'm like, oh gosh, it's almost like looking up the, the road and seeing a tree fall across the road. And I'm like, oh no, there's a tree across the road, meaning I don't remember the word I want. And then I will speak an entire sentence to avoid needing that word. Like mm -hmm. I'll explain the word instead of doing that. That's one of the things I've noticed as I get older. Um, yes. But I don't have to remember that I gave myself insulin and is there fat and what I ate and stuff like that. I, I really do want to know what that's like. Well, 
Um, I would say that right now at 65, if I have any fear, big fear that I have about continuing to manage this as I get older. Gvoke Hypopen has no visible needle and is the first pre-mixed auto-injector of glucagon for very low blood sugar in adults and kids with diabetes, ages 2 and above. Not only is Gvoke Hypopen simple to administer, but it's simple to learn more about. All you have to do is go to gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. Gvoke shouldn't be used in patients with insulinoma or pheochromocytoma. Visit gvokeglucagon.com slash risk. We're going to get back to Christine in just a moment, but before we do, I'd like to remind you to go to t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox and take the survey. Also to go to touchedbytype1.org and find out what they're up to over there, helping people with type 1 diabetes as they do. Find them on Instagram, Facebook, and on their website, touchedbytype1.org. I'll remind you that the links to these sponsors and all of the sponsors can be found in the found can be found in the show notes of your podcast player and at juiceboxpodcast.com. No kidding. When you click on the links and support the sponsors, you are keeping the show frequent and free. So I appreciate your support very much. That's it. You ready? Here comes Christine. Continuing to manage this as I get older. So certainly going out of pump helped immediately with, oh, all the history is right there. I can just go and look mm-hmm. and find it. Okay. But um, you're right. As I'm aging, I'm noticing that I can't walk from a room to room without going, oh my God, what did I, what am I doing here? I, there was something I was going to get and I have to retrace my steps. And, and it does impact um well, it impacts everything, but particularly, you know, diabetes. And I heard a statistic once about that as a diabetic, I'm, I am thinking and having to make at least 200 or maybe 300, I don't know what it is, extra decisions in a day about what I'm putting in my mouth, counting you know, doing the numbers, uh, you know, the pump does numbers for me, but all the little things that as a diabetic, you are thinking about that nobody, you know, people who don't have diabetes don't have to think about. Mm. And when you think of 200 extra little pieces of detail in a day, that's a lot. Yeah. And so it is a fear that I have about what am I going to do when I, what if I forget the steps of, uh, you know, filling my pump and I have to be, I've noticed now that when I'm loading my pump, I need to shut the door. Don't let anybody interrupt me because I might lose track and I might skip a step or, you know, or I have to go back and start over. But yes, I am noticing the impact of just age, um, just age. Yes, exactly. I, I I mean, as a person who worries about a person who has diabetes, you know, I I think the 
the way I always thought of it is the first thing that concerned me greatly was, of course, Arden was diagnosed so young. And so when they're telling you stuff like, don't worry, you know, side side effects from diabetes and those impacts, they don't come for 30 years. And I was like, oh, well, she'll be 32 then when she starts having problems. Like, that's not comforting. You know, yeah. uh, were you trying to comfort me? Because that didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's the thinking about being on your own and that whole process that you spoke about, about kind of, you know, just rebelling against life and going through that late adolescent period um, getting, you know, getting out of your twenties alive, basically that feeling. And then, you know, having to build a family, being concerned that if you make a baby, is your baby going to have autoimmune issues as well? Is that something you want to give to someone else? And is it a burden you want to add to yourself? Because now you're not, you know, I think about how difficult it is to be the parent of a child with type one, but I don't have type one. So if you add that, is that an extra thing? And then I think about the getting older part that we just spoke about. And then the part that scares me the most, that if I talk about too long, I will just cry, is what about when dexterity goes when you get older, like with your hands and grabbing and, mm-hmm. and twisting and being able to manipulate small things and buttons. And um, then I feel like, oh, God, like there'll be a day if she lives that long, she'll have to go back to injections. And she mm-hmm. won't know what the hell she's doing with that. And I won't be there. And, you know, like that's that that kind of like tidal wave of, of how I think about all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I did make some decisions in my life based on just what some of the things you just talked about. I did not have children and um, uh, I remember my doctor at the time who is a, he, he was an endocrinologist saying, okay, now's the time I didn't get married till I was like 30 he says, but if you want to have a baby, you should do it sooner rather than later. And um, pumps were just coming out. And he said, we can put you on a pump during your pregnancy, which would help. And I just, I was sitting on the fence. And the one thing that probably, multiple things, but a big thing that stuck out was I can probably get through this pregnancy successfully. I will be a good mother, but I will probably not take as good a care of myself because I'll be taking care of a kid. Mm-hmm. I knew that my own um, my energy would go to taking care of the kid instead of taking care of myself. Okay, and the. You know, I have moments right now where I feel like I really wished that I had a kid. Just one would have been nice, but I didn't. And I made the best decision that I could at that time. And I probably wouldn't be as in good health as I am right now. I think I could be wrong, sure. but definitely pregnancy is hard on your body, anybody's body. And when you're diabetic, it's going to be a little bit harder. So, you know, I did that. That was a pretty large part of my decision not to have children. Mm. How, how was your husband with that? Um, he was okay. Um, he, I think he sat on the fence as much as I did. And um, so. Are you guys and, together? And Is he? No, we, we're no longer together. So, okay. um, 
but uh but at that time it felt like he was in on it yeah yeah he was supportive right and so it wasn't like it wasn't like you know he really felt like he wanted to have a kid and he was disappointed by the fact that i wasn't going to lean in that direction Mm -hmm. is that one of the more difficult decisions you've made I suppose, um, you know, none of the kids and my siblings, nobody had children. So there's, there's really no, yeah. Of four of, out of four of us, no, nobody had children. Pur- purposefully for the other three? Um, you know, I think because my dad was uh, not around very much, I don't think we had a really great role model of, good family, what, what a good family looks like. Mm-hmm. And, um, that may have been part of it. Um, my, I think my youngest brother may have wanted to have children and his wife didn't. Um, my older sister had some stepchildren and then I have a younger sister who might have, but, um, she died of alcoholism and uh, at a young, pretty young age. And so, yeah, who probably lots of different reasons, but it is unusual to have four kids and there's no, there were no offspring. I need to ask you just uh, so I don't wonder the whole time, your father not being around, was that alcoholism? I think so. Okay. Yes. Hidden, hidden alcoholism. Did he yes. fight and I really, or- I didn't realize that until he was almost dead, you yeah. know. It was like, oh my God, that's why he was never around. He had his own business. Mm-hmm. And I think he was drinking over there. And I asked my mother about it one day. They were both ill in their 80s. And I said, Was dad drinking over there in his welding shop? And and she changed the subject and said, No, so fast I got whiplash. <laughs> did <laughs> he know? did he fight it's the like, war? Pardon me. Your dad fight in the war. He was in World War II. He did not um, do combat. Okay. He had a desk job gotcha. um, in the army because of some sort of something. I think he had a because he had a vision thing. They gave him a desk job. Um. So. Um, I was just. Yeah. Get, I was trying to get. It. I was wondering if he had PTSD or anything like that before they understood what it was. So mm-hmm. that's all. Yeah. Okay. I didn't yeah. mean to dig up your entire. I just. No. no I know. It's okay. I, it's. I. It all relates. It, it all relates. Yeah. No, I think it does too. And I just sometimes I hope that people uh, can see that that some of these details make some of the bigger statements make more sense, and then mm-hmm. then they become valuable, and not just you and I chatting for no reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. So now it's funny, you know. I've heard a little beeping. What 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 technology do you use right now? I don't know what was beeping. I have a tandem pump. With um, a Dexcom? I have a Dexcom. Oh, it did just beep. Yeah, you no. heard that. Yeah, it's beeped I twice. Didn't. Your blood sugars, whatever your high threshold is, you hit it about 10 minutes ago. You're right. I know. <laughs> so I, I ate oatmeal. I ate oatmeal this morning for breakfast because I didn't want to. I, I wanted a little spike this morning. <laughs> I can eat oatmeal without getting a spike, but when I, when I'm getting too low, 
I start not to think clearly and I wanted to be thinking very clearly this morning. <laughs> so that's interesting. Are your um are your goals based on on that? Really like where you I mean obviously your goals are where you feel good, but are yours different than like somebody else's perhaps? Um so you mean you want to know what my targets are yeah. set at? Yeah. And have they changed um, as you got older? Oh, they've changed as I've listened to your podcast. Oh. They're getting tighter and tighter and lower and lower. I mean, I have my parameters set at between 70 and 150. Nice. And, um, you know, when I was on MDI for 30 plus years and they started doing uh, A1C tests, I always on MDI was hovering in the low sevens. Mm-hmm. Um Probably when they first came out with the A1C test, I might have been an eight-ish. I don't remember being much more than an eight. And then that test really kind of made me hone in better. And I always was in the mid sevens. And then once I got on a pump, I dropped down into the sixes. And my last A1C and I never, ever thought this would happen, even though I was listening to you. I was getting bolder with insulin. I was doing pre-bolusing and um, working with my basils. I thought, there is no way I will ever get into the fives like some of these people are doing. I just thought, that is phenomenal. But my last one was a 5.6. Wow. That is amazing. Good for you. I, I know. it, And it was like, it seemed effortless. So the, the one thing that, you know, you, we were talking about these aging issues and the one thing I wanted to emphasize was, you know, the idea of complications that we all, um, we learned about if, you know, the complications of diabetes, if you aren't trying to stay in control, eye, kidney, vascular system and all that. But, um, and I've pretty much evaded those things. I have one thing going on with my eyes that I'm getting some treatment for. Um, but I think that's the, that's the most wonderful thing right now that, I mean, you can still have diabetes and have none of this technology and do a bad job. But what I'm seeing and hearing is that people are getting on board with the technology right away. They're doing such a great job. They're not even, you know, they get diagnosed with a A1C of 10. And then in three months, they're down in a normal level. It's like, we are going to get to a period of time where we don't see those complications mm. I hope anymore. So. And that is so much, I think, for families, parents to hang on to, you know, the idea that, wow, I can pretty much raise my kid normally. You know, I had this attitude of this disease isn't as bad as a lot of other things could be, but now you can have this disease and really hone in with all the technology and hopefully not have to be looking at any complications down the road. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's only been a number of decades. It's funny when you talk about your life and you say, I was MDI for 30 years, I'm over 20 years. 
um, on a pump now, my first reaction is like, it's astounding. You know, it feels like you've lived lifetimes inside of a lifetime is how it makes me mm -hmm. feel. And at the same time, when you really consider it, there's, you know, past the late 80s, diabetes started to to move in a completely different direction. And if you even cut away the, the 80s and the 90s from your, you know, from your analysis, the last 10 years is astonishing compared to the first, you know, decades. Um, exactly. And I think that some of... Some of the problem is holdover. It's people who live so long in the first part or the second part that when they are as doctors giving advice to people who live now, their advice is still just very rooted in 1985 instead of, instead of them just forgetting that. Like, just forget what happened before and look at what, what's possible now. Yeah. Um, it, it's just, it's, um, it's a, it's what slows people down sometimes. Now, I'm not talking about people who don't want to pump. Like, I, I understand if somebody doesn't want a pump attached to them. Like, I, I couldn't argue with that if that's not what you want. I'm talking about doctors who are saying things like, I just got a note from a lady this morning, and her kid's graph is ridiculous. And she's like, I don't know, like, what happened. I went to my endo and, and told them that we were seeing drops after meals, and they made his basal heavier. And now the drops are worse and I'm feeding his insulin all day long. And I, I said, look, I looked at it. I listened to what she had to say. And I said, I would put the basil back to where it was and look at your meal ratios because her first problem was the kid was falling after food. But I think the doctor saw the big spike and added basil for some reason. But the spike was from her catching the food, catching the drop with food. It's just like, how could someone misunderstand this so drastically? Y mm -hmm. You know, and and say that they're professionals at it. I, I, I that's the that's today's biggest hurdle is getting practitioners who can read those graphs quickly and make sense of them. Yeah. So I've 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 my last two internists that I went to, and I go to a, a endocrinology person. The last two internists who were looking at my A one C at a five point six and a a 6.0 said, I'm a little worried about this um, A1C, that this is too low, but I see that you're working with endocrinology and I'll just leave it alone. And I said, that's a good idea <laughs> <laughs> because um, I said, technology today is all about, um, I don't, I don't have to have extreme lows anymore. That 5.6 does not, when I had sevens, mm -hmm. I had more lows than I do now. Yeah. I, and I, it's obvious to me. I don't know why it's like the, if you don't get high, you don't have to correct. And then you don't get low later. It's a, it, it, you said earlier that the five, six felt effortless. Mm -hmm. And I mean, my heart just swelled because I mean, if you've listened to the podcast, you know how I think about it. If you don't get high, you won't get high. If you don't get high, you don't have to correct. You know, like you like you put the effort into staying in that spot. And then all that other stuff that everybody struggles with, most for the most part, doesn't happen anymore. Your your insulin's not timed poorly. It's not working when there's no food in your system, et cetera. Like all the things you'll hear me say in the podcast. Um, mm -hmm. But I was just really, it's lovely that you 
that that struck you that way too. Um, and yeah. I just because you had gone through so many iterations of diabetes, why were you able to hear what I was saying? And how long have you been listening? And how the hell did you find a pod? I have a lot of questions. I don't understand how you uh-huh. find a podcast at your age. Um, how did you find yourself listening to a person who doesn't have diabetes? Like, how did you get over that hurdle? Well, um, so in the pump users support group that I'm currently in, <clears throat> when I first got on the Dexcom, um, with my tandem pump, um, I was going to this support group and people were starting to use the mostly um, continuous monitoring with their Medtronics mm-hmm. and, um, and, and some Dexcom fours and fives, you know, and I've never wanted to go on a Dexcom earlier because I was like, well, you still have to calibrate it. I was like, I will go on, I'll go on continuous monitoring when I don't have to calibrate it anymore. Why would I want to do that and still have to test my blood sugar? Um, So I was kind of waiting for the perfect opportunity. But in that group, when I got on the G6, that was my first um, continuous. And and then I had the tandem pump. Um, I said, okay. I'm getting all this data. I don't quite know what to do with it all. You know, how do I work with it? Mm-hmm. And one of the dietitians who run, ran that group, she says, you might want to listen to the juice box podcast. <laughs> and so I had, I didn't even know what a podcast was. So I had to learn how to do that on my iPhone. And um, I start listening to you and we that was back in the it was in the low 200s episodes okay um and what the very first day i thought i don't know if i can listen to this guy (laughs) my wife would agree with you (laughs) you kind of fool yourself it took me one day to get over it. And I thought, oh my God, this guy has something to say. I'm going to stick with this. And I had a job where I worked out of my car. I traveled mm-hmm. as a as a home occupational therapist. So I had that podcast going on all day long when I was in my car. Okay. And I'd listen to episode after episode. And I just started to eat it up and start to make slow changes. Cool. And then I was telling the group, I said, you all need to be listening to this. This is really helpful information. And it made sense to me, the idea about, um, you know, the struggle to bring down a high versus the ease in bringing up a low, you know. Right. And don't, don't do 15 grams of carbohydrate. All you need are eight grapes to bring up that low. And especially if it's a low that you're moving into slowly, which is what happens on a pump, you know, unless, I mean, it's very rare anymore that I overdose on a bolus. Mm -hmm. And even if that would happen, like I just don't calculate it right. um, Then it's like, oh. Okay, I get to have a little chocolate right now. Stop this little, <laughs> a little snack to keep me from crashing. That's excellent. You know, 
So, um, yeah, it's just a whole lot easier. Um, so, and I, yes, I attribute my 5.6 to you. Oh, well, I'm very happy for you. Sincerely. I, I know, I, I know how I can probably come off in the beginning, but I, there's nothing, um, to me, there's nothing you can do about it. It also needs to be interesting. I, mm-hmm. I, I you know, so it's always been, it's always been in the back of my head, you know, that you can't just, you can't just pump out the information in a dry way. No one will listen to it. That's right. You know, so, and that's, do you remember when I first wrote to you like six or seven months ago? And I said, I think I have something to contribute to your program. And I said, you, you do such a great job of what we call in my occupation of, of occupational therapy. It's called therapeutic use of self. And you do that really well. And, and it allows you to connect with people. And it always allowed me to connect to my patients in a way that I did not see my coworkers necessarily connecting. It's putting your whole self into it. It's putting your experiences to develop a connection and rapport um, between you and your listeners, between you and me, the person that you're interviewing, you just do that really well. You make, you make people feel safe and respected. No, thank you. And that, and that is, I think, you know, that's kind of the, um, the fancy words to somebody who knows how, who, who knows how to do the gift of gab and to be a really good schmoozer, you know, um, you've been told that by, who was it? Katie Couric that it told you Couric. you have w- a good way with people. Was she the one? Yeah, she was the one. She she said yeah. she said you yeah. don't. Uh, I was doing her television show, and when it was over, she said all those people they were just they were waiting for you to talk again. They didn't care mm-hmm. what the other people were saying, and you know she's and I said like, I could feel it. Like I I have whatever that is. Like I don't know that anybody wouldn't have it. But when you're talking and you can feel people moving, um, you can feel their emotions moving or their interests moving on your words. It's a, a an electric feeling, and so yeah. I, I knew I knew that it was happening, but I didn't have the context for it that she had because she had watched it so often, I guess, in the past. And using humor and storytelling, your personal experience—it's just all part of it, and it just makes people you know, believe in you, um, and, and connect. Thank you. I mean, it's the difference between, you know, you as a really good podcaster and, or me as an occupational therapist between somebody who's successful at it and somebody who's just kind of doing their job. Right. The way I, the way I think about it, I mean, if we want to go behind the curtain, I guess, is that I think there's something valuable about me not having diabetes because of that sort of dispassionate breakdown that I can do of what's happening. You know, whereas if you talk to another type one, their emotions are going to get into it pretty immediately. I mean, I I don't know what it's like to have a low blood sugar and think I'm going to pass out. It sounds really scary. And I hope I never have to understand what that's like. But I can stand as a third party and tell you what it was like to watch it happen and where and what was important to do and when it was important to do to stop it or to slow it down more quickly or to have it come back without a spike, like that kind of stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I agree about the storytelling thing. I think people need to hear things uh, slowly. I don't think having things shouted at you or bullet pointed is a valuable way to teach people things. Um, and, you know, being comfortable is, uh, I can't even take credit for that. You know, I, I've, um, I won't say who in my family, but we were sitting around one day speaking about something and I started talking and being vulnerable about how I felt about this situation, which led to another person in the room doing the same thing. And those people were older and it made their spouse uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And then, and then it started like a, an argument. And I remember at the end, I was not part of the argument. The person who opened up after I opened up looked at me and said, this is your fault. And I laughed and I said, Hey, the two of you not knowing how to be honest with each other is not my fault. I was like, yeah, I don't know if you just saw what happened, but you were honest. It made your 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 partner uncomfortable to feel that you were sad. And then you guys didn't know how to communicate after that. Mm-hmm. I said, that had nothing to do with me. But I take your point. There's something about I, I was honest, and then it made him want to be honest. And mm-hmm. then it mm-hmm. just it went on from there. And so instead of it being your fault, you could take credit for that. Oh, at the end, I was like, yeah. I pulled yeah. it aside. I said, well, you're welcome. <laughs> you know, and it's up to you guys now to, um, there are times when I hear people complain to me and in my head, I think, I think to myself, oh, so what you mean here is thank you, <laughs> but, uh-huh. uh, you just don't know it yet. That's fine. And, uh, it, it really is, um, it's an odd pairing, right? Like why, why is it me? You know what I mean? But it all works and I can't take credit for it working. It just works. And, and, and then, then that's the next step. If I pretend that's not the case, if I use false modesty, you're going to feel that. So I'd rather seem brash to you at first when you get to the podcast. And then you realize that maybe I deserve that feeling than for me to pretend like, Oh no, I, you know, that's not, you know, that kind of bullshit is, um, I, I think that that fake stuff would turn people off. It, it, at least it would turn me off. So, you know, I don't do it. When when you hear me get embarrassed about something, I'm I'm really embarrassed. Like when when people say nice things, it's it has gotten easier for me to accept over time. But it's still strange. I mean, you're a person who over the last hour has painted an amazing picture of decades of living with diabetes, and to hear at the end of that story for you to say that. I'm in the fives because of a podcast I made is um, it's difficult to absorb from my perspective, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but I appreciate it. It just makes me a little uncomfortable. Maybe I'll be a full adult in another 10 years and I'll be able to accept it better. I don't know. Yeah. Well, uh, I want, I want you to know that whatever I episode I listen to, um, you know, some of the, what do you call them? The dark, after darks, the after darks. Yeah, you know somebody talking about drug addiction and diabetes, and I think, oh, well, that's that's an interesting title. I'm, you know, I I never did drugs. I'm probably not going to get anything out of this, but I listen to all of them, you know, as they come up, and there's always some thread of information that I can get from even that episode, you know. Um, you know, people talk about 
you know, just the emotions behind um, having a chronic disease. And even though I don't suffer from depression, I remember some depressing times of, and I just can, every episode, it just brings me back to so much history mm-hmm. that I just love, you know, kind of that, that piece of it where I, I'm constantly reliving some things or remembering some things that I had totally forgotten. Yeah. Well, there can be value in other people's perspectives. That's obvious, but there can also be value in you hearing somebody say something that's clearly wrong and, mm-hmm. and it, and it can reinforce it in you. I mean, there, I don't agree with everything everybody says when they're on the show, but I don't mm-hmm. stop to, you know, I don't always stop to give my perspective. That's, that's opposite. Sometimes, you know, sometimes the people who come on have to realize that by being so open and honest, there are going to, they are going to reveal things about themselves that aren't maybe stuff that you would hope other people to see, but by letting other people see those things, you end up helping those people. Um, I just got a note about something like two days ago where a woman said, Hey, in this recent episode, when this person said, you know, X, Y, Z, how come you didn't correct her? And I said, oh, she seems really, you know, sure about that for herself. But what I hear is then the person who thought to write in about it, that helped them because it solidified a a thought they had. And so there's this sort of, um, there's this bigger, there's a bigger responsibility in bringing people's stories out than it might seem to just a casual listener, right? There's, mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm trying to accomplish more things than it might seem like, I guess. Mm-hmm. It seems yeah. kind of high-minded for a podcast, but it, it's actually true, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, appreciate that you, I appreciate that you enjoy it. I really do. Oh, I do, I do. I, I, I'm not, um, I retired right before COVID um, from the most, you know, the, the fullest part of my job. I still do a little, two hour a week job um, as a part-time employee, but I'm not in the car anymore driving around and um, all day. So I realized, Oh my God, I'm not listening to as many podcasts. I have to create some other time besides being in the car to be listening to the podcasts. You know, and when COVID came, I was so worried that that is what was going to happen you know, mm-hmm. that, oh, gosh, people are going to stop driving and, you know, this is it. Like, the, I, I actually, I was worried, like, you know, well, the, if the podcast, you know, could fold, if, if people don't listen, advertisers won't be, you know, inclined to advertise. If that happens, you know, good luck, all of you with me explaining to my wife that I'm now just making a podcast for all of you out of the goodness of my heart, because we have bills and children in college and things like that. Um, and then the opposite happened. Mm-hmm. So... It, it it just it skyrocketed through covid mm-hmm. and i was yeah. like huh that went backwards but your experience was the experience that i expected mm-hmm. and and i'm sure it happened to some people but overwhelmingly what happened is that people found themselves with more time yeah 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 so and that's good that's good he's so. good for me <laughs> because because i want to make the podcast i'm in a very weird position where i do a thing that helps people um, and that is my main focus, but that thing takes so much time and effort that if I can't monetize it, I can't do it the way I want to do it. 
and then it becomes, you know, it could become uh, difficult to maintain after that. I just feel lucky that I make money off of a thing that's actually valuable to people and that I enjoy doing. Like, I never thought I was going to get all three of those things, like enjoyment, value, and a living. I didn't, I, I didn't think I could get all of them. So yeah. I feel very uh, lucky about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Having yeah, said that, I mean, you need to listen more, Christine. Okay, I got. I do. I, do. <laughs> well, I I have to learn how to like turn on the podcast and sit and sit in my office here. That and I I'm a quilter, so um, I can have it on while I'm sewing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so um, yeah, there's all kinds of ways. Um, anyway, um, are you enjoying yourself? Is this okay? Did you get out everything you wanted to talk about? Um. Yeah, I think there was one about, um, and this might give you a title today. <laughs> I do, I am going through one, I call it a minor um, complication. Um, you know, my cousin went blind when he was 21. Right. And um, he's, he, he would have been 65 this year, but he died two or three years ago um, from all of the complications of diabetes. Um, he, the diabetes was kind of from both of our mother's sides. And then his father had early heart disease. So he got the double whammy of having not only diabetes, but a cardiac condition as well. So over his lifetime of 62 years. Um, He had three or four heart attacks. He had bypass surgery. He was having kidney shutdown. He lost his sight. He lost um, a leg. Um, And, you know, he was pretty much heading into another surgery with it for another amputation and, and he died. Um, But um, I, have always, because I was involved in that eye study in college, um, knew right away to kind of make sure that my eyes are being um, um, checked Mm -hmm. every year and been faithful about that. And I remember, you know, the very first time having the physician tell me, well, we're seeing a little bit of background diabetic retinopathy but it's kind of what we would expect to see in somebody's eyes who's had diabetes for 30 years. You know, you don't have anything to worry about right now. And, but just maintain good control. Hmm. So it was another reason to maintain good control. I had a cousin who was blind right. and, and then I had a little bit of retinopathy. Well, so as the years went by, um, you know, that little bit has changed and I'm undergoing treatments now for it's called diabetic macular edema DME. Um, and they, I go in, it started out being every month, but now it's every other month for, I call it my time to get the sharp stick in my eye. So I get an injection of, you know, a very fancy expensive drug called ILEA. I see advertisements for it on TV now. Um, And it is something that I'm probably going to have the rest of my life 
but it controls the edema that can, without the injections, the edema can get worse and then it tugs at your retina or something like that and you lose your sight. Wow. And so, you know, had that been there, you know, when my cousin was in his 20s, he wouldn't have lost his sight. Mm. And now I'm at that place where, you know, at first it was like, oh my God, I have to go have this treatment now. And instead of going down the rabbit hole of, oh, this is terrible and getting depressed, it's like, hey, we have a treatment for this. I am not going to lose my sight. I just have to go in and get a sharp stick in my eye every two months, you know? <laughs> and um, so again, I've heard you talk about um, with your daughter of how, you know, how much, you know, you have to manage her disease and make decisions and you guys text and you tell her what to do. And at first I thought, wow, she's a teenager. She should be able to do all that. Cause I, I, I right off the bat learned how to do all of that. My mom was kind of incapable. She would just crumble. And mm-hmm. so I had to learn how to do that at an early age. And then I could hear you talk about all the things that you did for Arden. And I thought, wow, she doesn't have to make those decisions. Isn't that, wow, I wonder when she's going to learn that. And then I thought, hey, if somebody texted me and said, hey, take five units of insulin and, you know, what are you going to eat? I thought, hmm, that is pretty nice. Maybe I'd like that too. (laughs) And And then you talked about, hey, by the time she does have to um, start learning that by herself, there's going to be more technology out there so that she may not have to be learning all the things that I do for her. Right. The technology is going to change again and again and again because it is changing so rapidly. Mm. And so I guess the point being like with, complications and like this eye disease, I decided not to get all bent out of shape about, yes, I've got this thing going on, but for God's sakes, I've had diabetes for 52 years. My cousin's dead. I could be dead and I'm not. I'm doing very well. I have been on the same dosage of insulin from almost when I was a teenager that I am now. You know, I take care of myself, I exercise, I stay slim, um, and I eat well. And we, I have every reason to believe, my doctor says, you know, you might make the 100-year club. <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> and I and, and, you know, and I, you know, some days I think, yeah, that's possible. Because well, I feel like I've been lucky. And I've also worked very hard at it. So right. it's, it's hard to know how much is hard work and how much is some stroke of luck. Well, you got to take I've, what you got to take it. Right. Right. If a little, if a little luck was coming your way, I mean, that's amazing. Maybe there's yeah. just something about your body that, that did well through those early years and, and didn't feel the, the impact as much. I, I have to tell you two things. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was, like as soon as you talked about the injections for your eyes, I just thought, wow, that's a miracle that somebody figured that out. You know, like that, that, that exists is just, it's just wonderful. Um, yeah. And it, it, does it hurt 
does the needle hurt? What, how would you describe the injection? Um, so the very first one I went in for, I said to the retina, retina, he's a retina specialist. I said, you know, I'm a little, I don't get anxious, but I said, I'm a little anxious right now. Cause you're going to put something really sharp in my eyeball. And it, I mean, Seems there's wrong. nothing, there's <laughs> nothing about that. That sounds good. Right. And he said, yeah. And I'm going to tell you right now that you having anxiety is not helpful. So he says, I'm going to help you breathe through this. And he really put me at ease mm-hmm. and he is very skilled and very fast so that, and they put these numbing drops in your eye. Yeah. So I don't, I feel something, but I'm sure not as much as um, it would be without the numbing drops and it just goes so fast. And then he's done and they they rinse your eyeball out and then you, you go home and he says, the best thing for you to do right now is to go home and take a nap, keep your eyes closed for a couple hours. And um, um, cause generally what happens is I feel the prick and then on the drive home, um, my eye starts to feel really scratchy mm-hmm. and I go to sleep. And there's something in it that makes me sleep for two hours. I could never take a two hour nap, but I sleep for about two hours and I wake up and it's pretty much gone. Wow. The it's just a slight irritation until the next day. I don't even know it. Yeah. So you just have to kind of get over that. Yeah. They're going to poke your eye with a needle. (laughs) (laughs) And then the rest is cake. (laughs) Yeah. And the the other thing I want to tell you, and I do have to let you go in a minute just because I'm running up on something. But um, the other thing I want to tell you is that I just got back from a wedding. Uh, My wife Mm -hmm. and I drove cross country to go to my goddaughter's wedding. And um, I, of course, didn't say this out loud before we left, but Arden stayed uh, at home by herself. And we left uh, Thursday afternoon and returned late Sunday night. Mm -hmm. So um, with the exception of one evening where... I'm going to say we were between the end of a pot of a pump site where I wish maybe she would have changed the pump a little sooner and mm-hmm. some hormonal things, mm-hmm. you know? So there was a struggle this one for about one 12 hour period. And, um, her, her blood sugar was higher during that time, 180, 200. And, but I let her keep going at it. And I, and mm-hmm. I once in a while I jumped in, I was like, Hey, you got to do something here. You know, like this isn't, it's not going to break. You know, you have to do something. I already bolused. I was like, I know, but it's not working. Like, look at the line. It's not, it's not working, you know? And then mm-hmm. I, I nudged her towards, I think your pod should be changed. And she said, it's not the pod because I was, um, it worked earlier. She said, and I was like, I know I'm like, but there's this entire experience that we're having right now says to me, um, we're seeing some resistance and the pump site's not fresh. So I said, I think if you go to a fresh pump site, we're going to start and we make a nice big bolus. I think this is going to be okay. So she said, no, I'm, I, I'm, I want to, I'm going to do it in the morning. And I said, mm-hmm. okay, well that's fine. But then we're going to make one more big correction. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, I, cause I think we can push enough through this bad site to keep you safe while we're asleep. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. she guessed at how much insulin. And if the site was working right, she would have had the right number, but I knew to do much more. So mm-hmm. I pushed six units through as a correction for like a 200 blood sugar, 
but mm-hmm. that's based on everything I had seen over many, many hours. And uh, she got up in the morning, changed her pump, and uh, got everything back the way, you know, again. So to me, that's a learning experience. Like, she yeah. gets to see yeah. that happen. <clears throat> and and I do believe what I say, which is, A, over slowly over time, she's learning more than she thinks she knows. And I do think things are going to continue to get better. And yeah. and it, it'll be a different situation for her in the future. Yeah, she's going to she's going to figure it out as she leaves home and goes off to college that she's going to be on her own. She'll figure it out and she'll she won't do, you know, she'll have some bumps and along the way. But fully expected. mm -hmm. However, in the many years prior to that, I mean, I think we're up to seven or eight at this point. Like, imagine how crazy it is. I've lost track of how long Arden's A1C has been in the fives. I don't even know. Mm -hmm. And um, because it feels effortless at this point. but but even at that, if she got eight years of a of a five you know point something A one C, and she's learning how I did it slowly without it feeling like she's not pressured by it. I don't know if you heard the episode with her like she couldn't be more chilled out about it. So yeah, I um, did. Yeah. I did hear it. Uh-huh. Uh, so you know, so there's no pressure. She's having good outcomes. She's learning more than she thinks she knows. Technology is going to get better moving forward. I mean, I did my best to put her in a good position. So yeah, that's all. Um, Christine, I have to tell you, this is really terrific. I I could probably talk to you all day. I am going to go jump onto another call right now. My son has a doctor's appointment that I have to sit in on um, or, or else the report back we'll get from it is the doctor said it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be like, he didn't say anything else. Nah, that's it. It's okay. Uh "Mm, How about if I, how about if I'm there too? Uh, I, I really appreciate this. Thank you so much. It was it was, really it was great. Thank you for letting me come on. And uh, yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Well, and hello to your support group because I'm assuming they all listen to you and you, they listen to the podcast now. So yes, I told them. I said, you guys need to start listening to. It. I, I I tell everybody about it. So thank you. That's really yeah. great. All right. Uh, hold on one second, please. Okay. I'm just gonna. A huge thank you to one of today's sponsors, Gvoke Glucagon. Find out more about Gvoke Hypopen at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. You spell that G-V-O-K-E-G-L-U-C-A-G-O-N dot com forward slash juice box. And I just want to take a moment to thank Christine for coming on the show today and sharing her story. I really, really enjoyed our time together. Last bits, t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. Take the survey. Juicebox podcast, type 1 diabetes on Facebook. Join the private Facebook group. I'm just going to non sequitur all of these. Enjoying the show? Tell a friend or a stranger. Doesn't matter to me. If you really love the show, try leaving a review and rating where you listen. Like, say you listen to an Apple podcast, open it up and say uh, five stars. Click. And then it says write a review. You click that and then write a nice, thoughtful review that will make somebody else think, you know, this Bill from Paris who wrote this review, he really seems to like this podcast. I'm going to check it out, too.
See what I'm saying about the reviews? That's what they're for. And last but not least, and I didn't mean to connect these two things because I was supposed to non sequitur the whole thing. But last but not least, if you're listening in a podcast app or an audio app like Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, please subscribe and follow the show. Some apps ask you to subscribe to be a follower. Some apps ask you to follow to be a follower. Fancy words, not really, but they mean the same thing. Depends on the app you're in. Subscribe and follow. Subscribe and follow. I compel thee. Did you forget about the 666 thing already? It was only an hour ago. I am your master. You will do what I say. Subscribe and follow. Leave a review. Make it five stars. Support a sponsor. Buy a contour meter. You need a different glucagon. Your tubing is stinky. Don't you want to see your CGM numbers on your phone? <laughs> All right, that's enough. Just support the sponsors. I, I got to keep this thing going. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juice Box Podcast. <laughs>